In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Christian life is a journey. It's about following Jesus. But this journey has two parts. You can think of the inward journey, the journey of personal transformation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that results from Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. It brings transforming grace into our lives that reorders our desires and priorities. There's a personal transformation that's involved with following Jesus, an ongoing, lifelong process of transformation, a journey inward. But the Christian life is not just a journey inward. The Christian life is also a journey out. Christ calls us to himself. The gospel is an invitation to come to Jesus. Jesus in the gospels is constantly drawing people to himself like a magnet. But Jesus is also always sending people out, sending people away once they have encountered him with his message, the message of his kingdom. Some Christians have a tendency to focus more on the inner dimensions of faith, becoming more holy, personal transformation. Others may focus on the journey outward more so, putting faith into action. Both are important. The way of Jesus, the journey, is both journey in and journey out. In Luke chapter 10, our gospel lesson for today, we see as Jesus has drawn followers to himself, drawn disciples to himself, he is now once again sending them out. This is the second time in as many chapters that this has happened. Jesus sends out the initial disciples in Luke chapter 9, and now there's this larger group of 70 that he is sending out with a similar commission. Our church, Church of the Holy Cross, we are still a a young church plant, a new work, and we're technically considered a mission of our diocese. The word mission, the word mission comes from the Latin word for sent. It means to be sent out. And here in Luke 10, Jesus shows us what it means to be sent out, this journey outward, to be on this journey out with Jesus. We have been sent out together as a church to be a part of this new work of the gospel in this particular place. So we need to understand what it means to participate together as the people of God in Jesus's mission. So what I want to do this morning is look at Luke chapter 10, our gospel lesson, and consider the nature of this mission. And we'll look at it in our three headings. We see something about the people of mission. We see the message of the mission. And then we see something important about the results of the mission. So first, the people of mission. Luke 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So as I said earlier in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the twelve. But now there's this larger group. There's this 72, or some manuscripts say 70. Why this number, 72 or 70? In the Greek version of the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 10, the nations of the world are symbolized by this number 72. Jesus' mission, this is so important to understand the Gospels, it's not just to the Jew, although it is to the Jew first. Jesus' mission is to the Gentile also. Jesus' mission is to the world. The mission of Jesus is universal. It's a big mission. Christianity is not just tribal. It's not just tied to one people or to one culture. It's global. And it's for all peoples. 
And one of the things that you see in the Gospels that actually gets Jesus in lots of trouble is he's constantly crossing boundaries that people think he shouldn't have been crossing. He's crossing cultural boundaries. He's crossing ethnic boundaries. He's pushing out. He's challenging his followers to do the same as well because Christianity, the gospel, is not just for one people. It's for all peoples. It's indeed a universal message, a universal mission. Jesus is constantly seeking those who would have ordinarily been excluded or written off to be a part of his kingdom. And it takes the way Jesus has ordered it, it takes a lot of people to reach a lot of people. So here we have this big group that represents the number of the nations sent out to be messengers to the nations. So this is a universal mission. But also importantly here, we see that this is a shared mission that the church has been given. There's another Old Testament reference that's in view here. Moses, he chooses 70 to share in his mission back in Deuteronomy chapter 11. It was too much work. For poor old Moses. And so Moses is given the gift of shared work, shared labor. Luke has already made connections between Moses and Jesus in his gospel. So Jesus, like Moses, is bringing others in, sharing his spirit with a wider group to participate in this mission. But also we see in this that Jesus is sending out this group two by two. Everywhere. I think what we see here is not only does Jesus commission this large group for mission, but he gives us partners. He gives us friends. He gives us real people to share in the mission together. And here's the point. Jesus never sends us alone. Who are the people of Jesus' mission? We are the people of Jesus' mission. And we need each other, especially in mission. There's always more work to be done, more than that we can do alone. We need more people enlisted so that they can serve too. So we read in verse 2, Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. When you look out around you, when you look out at your neighborhood, when you look out at Crozet, when you look out at Charlottesville or wherever you might live, do you believe that there is actually a ripe harvest for the gospel? Do you see that? Do you see opportunity for the gospel? Now, I need to confess something, even as a priest. Sometimes I live my faith in a more defensive posture. Just kind of keep keep my head low. I can assume that people just aren't interested in Christ or the gospel. I'm more worried about sort of defending the faith from a defensive posture than seeing what Jesus tells his followers to see, a plentiful harvest, to engage, to go out into the world and to participate in this harvest. I'm actually sometimes careful not to let people know what I do, because I know as soon as they know I'm a priest, it's kind of like, it's sort of like a conversation killer. (laughs) But Jesus wants us to live in the world around us with a vision, that there is indeed a ripe harvest. There is work, there is fertile soil for the gospel. It takes vision to see this. It takes believing Jesus to see this. Because if you're anything like me, we're not always inclined to see that because we can quickly grow cynical. And I think cynicism is probably the number one killer of mission. And cynicism manifests itself in lots of different ways. And Christians are not immune from cynicism. Maybe sometimes we're the 
exemplars of cynicism. So I think one of the things that we need to work against is a cynical attitude. We need to see with this vision of Jesus that indeed there is a harvest and that we have been called to participate in this harvest, to participate in this message of the kingdom because we are the people of mission. There's a couple of challenges to this, to Jesus' mission. One is a hyper-individualism. There's little doubt that we live probably in the most individualistic age ever. But both the inward journey of discipleship and the outward journey of mission, Jesus calls us to a rich experience of community, of sharing our lives together. We can't grow alone in our faith. Community is the context for discipleship, but we can't go alone in our faith. Community is also the context for mission. Just as Jesus shares his mission with us, we are to share it with each other. St. Paul picks up on this dynamic all throughout his letters when he calls the church the body of Christ, whose parts are vital and necessary. I can imagine that there were pairs that were sent out that were probably forced to form close relationships, even when they might have differed on some things. But their difference was actually their strength. They had each other's backs. Where one was weak, the other was strong. The mentality that we are in this together. I think one of the main messages of the gospel is this. You are not alone in this world. And that's not just some sentimental thing. This is something that Jesus comes to bring for us through his work. Not to just save us as individuals, but to save us into a body. To save us into his church. And you are not alone on the journey that Jesus sets before you. You may feel like you are, but you're not. And that's why making a commitment to plunge yourself into real, messy relationships in the church is so important. Making church, this community, a central priority to our lives is key. When we see someone striking out on their own, trying to go alone, we need to lovingly call them back to the broader community so that we can grow together and so that we can go together. But another challenge, I think, to participating in the mission of Jesus, the way that he sets it out, is what you might call um, clericalism, which is the mindset that only the professional clergy, people dressed like this, do all of the work of mission. And lay people are kind of there to spectate and support and to cheer along. The clergy can do it. You know, what do we pay them for anyway, right? This is, can be the attitude that develops. But look how Jesus, again, gives the ministry away. And he shares it with this large group of people. And again, St. Paul In Ephesians 4, he says that pastors, for example, pastors are the ones actually who are in the support role to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Jesus shares his mission and he sends us on mission together. So do you see the power in this? Of being a part of something bigger than yourself as an individual. This is indeed a global mission. We are part of a global church that participates in a global mission. So how should we go together in mission. Well, we should pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Even as we participate in mission together, we are to continually pray for more workers to be raised up to share in this mission. We're to trust God for protection and provision. The Lord says, go your way. I'm sending you out as lambs amidst wolves. Jesus says, this is No cakewalk that you're about to embark on. 
Jesus spends a lot of time in the Gospels preparing his followers for opposition. The message that there is another king, that Jesus is king, who claims our allegiance will not go over well everywhere. But we are lambs and Jesus is the good shepherd. We can trust him for protection. He goes on to say, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the way. That's here conveying the sense of urgency. It's an adventure that leaves us not relying on ourselves, not on our own resources, but on the resources of the one who has sent us. Jesus calls us to himself and he sends us out into the world together, sharing his mission with us. So imagine our little mission here, continuing to grow in the sort of church, the sort of parish that lives boldly into this vision of mission, understanding that we are people of mission. So what's the message of this mission? We see this particularly in verses 5 through 8. What are we to do? Notice back in verse 1, Jesus sends out his messengers in all these different places, literally before his face, wherever he was about to go. Anytime the president travels, there's an advanced team of secret service agents who go ahead of the president to prepare the way for the arrival of the president, to make all the preparations. In the ancient world of Jesus' day, the way news spread was through messengers, heralds. These were the preachers who would go out into cities, go out into public squares and preach the news of the day. And often the reasons these heralds would go out was to announce the good news the gospel of a royal victory of King Caesar. So the word gospel in Jesus' day meant something like good news. The king has won a great victory and brought peace and prosperity to the world. Jesus has enlisted his followers on a mission to announce the kingdom, his kingdom, to announce the good news of another kingdom. The good news where Jesus is king. It's here. The kingdom of God is here. And it comes through Jesus the Messiah. Receive him. This is the message. Receive him as your king. So Jesus says, wherever I send you, towns, homes, villages, you are going as an advanced team, as messengers, announcing his kingdom. So the message of the mission is to announce the kingdom of Jesus. And it's a highly relational mission. Jesus says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be upon this house. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. So what is this showing us about the mission of Jesus? It actually it depicts a mission that is built on relationships, not programs or formulas. There's two ways this is a highly relational mission. There's a focus on the table, on table fellowship, on eating and drinking. To be at table with someone is to accept someone else's hospitality, is to enter into someone else's life as a guest. I think Jesus is saying that there's no better place for mission than around an ordinary table. This is the sort of place where relationships are formed, where trust is built. So there's a focus here on the table, on hospitality as it relates to Jesus' mission. But there's also something else. There's a focus on peace, the call to go in peace. The Hebrew background for this word, as some of you probably know, is the word shalom, which is stronger than what we might typically think of as peace, as the absence of conflict. It means something more holistic like welfare, prosperity, flourishing. 
The gospel is a message of God's shalom through the work of Jesus. And Jesus says that we should be constantly announcing shalom wherever we go, however we go, to whomever we go. And we're to look for open doors. Look for people of peace, people who might receive our hospitality, might receive our message of shalom. So it's interesting, on the one hand, Jesus is very realistic. It's like, yeah, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. There's going to be situations where there's going to be fierce, strong opposition. Don't be surprised by that. Don't wring your hands over that. That's the reality. That's the reality of being faithful to Jesus in a world that's not always going to accept his message. But on the other hand, Jesus says the posture in which we go with that understanding is to be people of peace, to go out as people of shalom, people of peace in the world. We're clear-eyed about the opposition, yes, but we go out with this message of peace, and we ourselves, being people of peace, looking for people of peace, looking for an opening. Often I think we can think uh, that sharing our faith, for example, is this daunting exercise where we're just setting ourselves up for confrontation and conflict, and so we just keep quiet. But Jesus, I think here, is giving us a way of understanding sharing the kingdom, praying for, looking for people of peace, where there actually might be an opening. Think about your life right now. I bet there are people of peace in your life, people who would not consider themselves followers of Christ, but with whom you can build a relationship around a table, around lunch, around coffee, having them in your home where there might actually at some point be an opening for you to share the message of the kingdom. We want to be a people of peace, seeking people of peace, to share the message of peace that comes through Jesus Christ. And we do this in large part by the way that we live our lives, by the attitude and the posture we adopt towards our neighbors. We announce the kingdom in word, yes, We don't keep our mouths shut. When we have the opportunity, we announce the kingdom, telling people about the king. But we also bring the kingdom in through our deeds. Verse 9, heal the sick. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Heal here is also the word for serve. Sick. This is also the word for weak. Serve those who are weak. Yes, literally, heal the sick. Participate in bringing restoration to people but have a posture and an attitude of service. So how can I, how can we participate in announcing and enacting the kingdom? Pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Invite, invite people into your lives. Eat and drink with others. Serve others and speak. Speak the word of the kingdom. So finally, to wrap up, what are the results? How should we think about the results of this kingdom mission? Maybe in your job, you feel completely responsible for the results of your work, your sales, or how well your students perform, whether or not your patient is making progress. And this could be a burden to carry. Your sense of performance is tied directly to the results that come in. But in Jesus' mission, although the call to us is straightforward and comes with gravity, the results are not up to us. We're simply called to go in the way of Jesus and invite others to join us. Some will, some won't. That's okay. We don't get discouraged when the doors are shut. We just look for the next open door, the next person of peace. 
Jesus says when people are open to his message, the kingdom has come. But even when the message is rejected, we saw in this passage, the kingdom has still come. Many Jews of Jesus' day were hoping for a violent overthrow of the Romans who were viewed as occupiers of their land. They were hoping Jesus would be the sort of king that would lead a very this-worldly insurrection, the kind that would call down fire from enemies, uh, on enemies. But Jesus is bringing in a very different kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of shalom. The kingdoms of this world advance through force, violence, trampling on the weak. Jesus' kingdom is the opposite. But Jesus warns about judgment. There's a serious word about judgment in this passage for those who refuse the kingdom of God. So these places that had witnessed the work of Jesus and proudly refused it, so Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, Jesus mentions here. Uh, but there's actually uh, hidden in this warning um, something interesting about the power of the kingdom because there's hope for even the most notoriously sinful places. So Tyre and Sidon and Sodom are also mentioned here as well. Look, the, the results are outside of our control, and this should be freeing for us. We have been commissioned by Jesus to go on, behalf, on his behalf, and if we're rejected, we don't take it personally. Why? Because of verse 16. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. If you have faithfully gone before Christ as his messenger and experienced rejection, opposition, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ. Jesus calls us in, calls us to himself, and he always sends us out. Our liturgy rehearses this every week. We're called in, we're fed by word and sacrament, and then we pray every week, having been strengthened and received the grace of Jesus Christ. We pray this prayer, send us out into the world to do the work you have given us to do. Sent out. This is so important to understanding the Christian life, the journey out. Our call is to Jesus. Then our call is to our, our neighborhoods. Our call as a parish is to Crozet, to Charlottesville, wherever you live, to our neighborhoods and our home. And we're to be a people of peace, bringing the kingdom of peace through the gospel in word and deed. Let's pray.